Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. It almost became a point where I forgot the love that I had for dance. And it became a very robotic thing of just got to work, got to make money, booking this job, doing this, doing that. And I realized once the pandemic hit that I was no longer creating for myself. So for months I was sad because I was like, I'm not creating anything. I haven't created something in so long. And one day, I don't know how this happened. I had just ended something with someone, someone I was dating. And I was wearing one of his shirts and I was washing another one of his shirts and we're done. And as I'm doing laundry, I'm thinking, am I the only one that still holds on to a t-shirt from an ex? Hello, it's Light Watkins. I am your host of At the End of the Tunnel, the podcast. And in case you're wondering, why is this called At the End of the Tunnel? That's such a strange name. It's because the guests that I like to feature on this podcast are all people who have gone through some period of uncertainty or darkness in order to find their their inner light, which ends up leading them to their path and their purpose. And so those are the stories we tell. It's kind of like... I don't know if you've seen that Batman movie where the Batman character, Christian Bale, he's been thrown into this prison in this sort of pit, and it's supposed to be impossible to escape from this place, but the prisoners work out that the only way you could potentially escape is by scaling the steep rock wall to a ledge, and then you'd have to leap from that ledge to a higher ledge, and it's pretty far apart, so you could fall to your death. But if you could make it to the other ledge, then apparently you could climb out of the pit. And so Batman, without the costume, he attempts to climb out. But before he goes up, he ties this rope around his waist just in case he misses that second ledge so he doesn't fall to his death. But as it turns out, he's not able to leap far enough. And then after a few attempts, he finally works out that in order to make it to the other ledge, He's got to leap without the rope, right? Without the safety net. In other words, it's not that he wasn't strong enough to take the leap. It's that he had a fallback plan, which inhibited him from maximizing his strength. And so when he tries it without the rope, of course, he makes it out. And it's such a beautiful representation of that leap of faith that we all have to take at some point in our lives in order to find our purpose, right? Because if normal life represents the pit of despair, that rock wall is sort of like your life's mission. But upon first inspection, it always appears too steep, too dangerous, too risky to even try to pursue it. Yet something inside of us may compel us to keep trying anyway. And then when we finally make it to our version of that ledge, which is the point of no return, 
because once we take the leap, we can't go back to the status quo, nor do we want to, then we have an opportunity to do one of the scariest things that we can ever imagine, which is to take that rope off and to take the leap of faith, right? Because everything we're familiar with is at stake. However, once we make it to the other side, we experience a sense of freedom and purpose that we've never had before. So that's what this podcast is about. It's telling those stories, hundreds of variations of those stories. And the more we hear it, the less scared we are about scaling our wall and taking our leap of faith in the direction of our path and our purpose. So I want to carpet bomb you with these stories because I believe that within you is an idea or something that you're passionate about, something that no one else can do but you. And even if you're just curious about it right now, when you follow that curiosity, when you follow the idea, when you find your passion, when you get to that point of no return, you too will experience that same freedom. And then you become the light. You become that beacon of light that can help other people to find their way to their passion and purpose. And this is just one way that we can all make the world a better and brighter place for everyone. So thank you for listening and supporting my efforts and bringing these stories to you. If you have not already rated and reviewed this podcast, please do so now while you're gearing up to listen to this episode. This is the best way that you can support my efforts and help other people discover these inspiring stories. And in the meantime, I want to tell you about Miss Jasmine Mason, who is my guest on the podcast this week. So Jasmine is a dancer. She's been dancing since she was three years old. And in the last couple of years, she got inspired to take a big leap of faith in the direction of self-publishing a book about breakups. And that's the thing. Your mission may not have anything to do with that thing that you're passionate about, which in Jasmine's case was dancing, but it can put you in proximity to the thing that you're curious about, right? So because she was dancing, she was at home in between shows, washing clothes, and that's where she had this idea because she had just broken up with her boyfriend and she apparently had kept one of his t-shirts. And as she was washing it, she realized that she had a collection of these oversized shirts from some of the people that she's dated and her curiosity got the best of her. And she wondered how many other women are doing the same thing? How many are keeping an ex-boyfriend shirt after the breakup? And so she reached out to some of her friends and they all verified that they had shirts from past relationships. And then that led to stories about those relationships and some of the lessons that they learned. And then ultimately, this led Jasmine to come up with the idea of publishing a book that she called You Ain't Shirt about the relationship lessons, which are positive relationship lessons that the women learn after going through a breakup that are told through the story of 65 of her female friends who have contributed answers to some of the questions that Jasmine asked them about their breakup experiences. And again, this is what I love about the idea of following your curiosity and inspiration because we all have it and you just never know where it will ultimately lead you. There's no way Jasmine could have known that her initial curiosity around a t-shirt from an ex-boyfriend while she was washing clothes would have led to the production of a beautiful coffee table book that helps people move through breakups. And by the way, she had no knowledge about publishing books. She didn't even know where the idea came from, but she went with it. And that's how it goes when we're being lured toward our purpose. It doesn't make sense 
a lot of the time, not even to you, but you go with it anyway. And so in this episode, we're going to get into the backstory of how Jasmine grew up, how that influenced her ideas around relationship, why she had that curiosity, and all of the steps that led to the conception and the execution of the You Ain't Shirt book, and why she knew that she had to take action on the idea, even though it could potentially be a money pit. I think you're going to enjoy this one and hopefully it will inspire you to do something with the things that you're curious about. And so without further ado, let us dive into my conversation with Miss Jasmine Mason. Jasmine, thanks so much for coming on to the podcast. I'm super excited about digging into the creation of the You Ain't Shirt project. (laughs) (laughs) I like to start these conversations off, though, talking about childhood. You grew up in Orange County, right? Yes, I did. So tell me a little bit about what that was like as a young child. Thank you for asking. So I, yes, grew up in Orange County. My parents divorced when I was one. So I never really knew a time, I guess, when they were together. Grew up with a single mom and two older brothers. And she was working three jobs Orange County is expensive. I do have to say that. My dad was close by, about 40 minutes away. I I saw him mainly on the weekends. I grew up really, really Christian. My dad was really involved in the church. And that is how we spent time together on the weekends, was going to church together. And I felt like being part of that religion brought me closer to my dad. So I grew up super Christian. I wouldn't say I had a tough childhood. I know that there wasn't always a lot of money, but my mom was amazing and so supportive. She put me in dance at the age of three, and I've been dancing ever since. My mom was a dancer and she was a tap teacher. So like when she was pregnant with me in the belly, she was dancing. So it was it was inevitable that I was going to be a dancer. So that is my main thing. That's what I do, and that's what I've been doing since age three. And I grew up in competitive dance. So I was competing until I was 17. That's interesting because my next question was going to be, what was your favorite toy or activity as a child? So even though you were involved in dance, would you say that that was your favorite activity when you were young? Absolutely. There was, I didn't try any other sport. Dance was my thing. Like I came out of the womb posing, dancing. That's what I wanted to do. And straight after school, I would go to dance at 3 p.m. And then I'm not done until like 8.30. That's all I did. What did you love about it? Like, what did you get out of that as a young person? I love performing. That's my favorite thing. Like to be able to perform in front of an audience, be on stage, all the glitz and glam of it all. Because it's funny, like I, I never wore makeup until I was, like I never wore makeup casually until I was probably like 17, but it was so fun because on the weekends when I would go to a dance competition, I like, it was like an alter ego, like putting on all the makeup and the fake lashes and all the, like the fun stuff in that sense. That was so fun to like almost live a double life. I go to school, I wear my glasses, I'm like reading. And then on the weekends I get to perform and become this like different person when I'm on the stage. What did you get from that alternate ego when you were on stage that you were not getting in your normal life? I'm not quite sure. That's a good question. I think to be able to become someone different, which isn't maybe a healthy thing (laughs) 
kind of forget what it's like when I'm not on the stage. I could kind of become whoever when I'm on the stage, if that makes sense. Did you feel like you were inspiring people or evoking something within people who saw you perform or anything absolutely. like that? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. When you're on stage and you get to tell a story and bring out emotions from people in the audience or the judges or whoever is watching, that felt so just to be able to be given that gift to storytell and then, yeah, evoke emotions in people. It was very rewarding. Hey there, really quickly. Have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. Who were your role models back then when you were starting out in your dancing? 100% my mom. She was always been number one supporter. She never pushed me in any direction. She never was like, you have to compete. You have, she was like, whatever you want to do. I just genuinely loved it. And I'm sure she loved that because she was a dancer as well. So we got to share the same passion, but she was, she's always been my role model. 100% my mom. Were your brothers dancers as well? Yeah. So my oldest brother started out in dance. He was like a b-boy and then he got over it and he, he chose a different lifestyle to say the least. And then my middle brother, he danced with me and he still dances too. So he's a teacher in Orange County. When you're a younger person and you're dancing, what does it take to be a world-class performer? First of all, you have to love it. Like you have to, you can't just do it because you want to just be on the stage. You have to love what you're doing. And I definitely noticed the students in class who just did it for fun and just wanted to, their parents just put them in an after school activity. But I knew from an early age that I wanted this to be my career. Like I knew that even after the competition days, like I want to continue on this path. And so I always trained for that. I, and like I said earlier, 
I never played any other sports. Like I knew dance was the one. It was my first love. So I, oh, I put all my energy, all my attention, all my time into dance. I knew that's what I wanted to do. I had one moment. I remember my sophomore year in high school where I was like, I had all these high school friends and I couldn't ever hang out with them because after school, I'm going to dance on the weekends. I'm learning routines and I'm practicing. And then I have competitions and I, and I was like, wait, maybe I just want a moment where I could be just a normal kid and like hang out with my friends after school. I had that one moment where I was like, should I quit? Like, should I stop? And after some time I, I, I couldn't do it. I had the moment of like, wait, maybe should I just give this all up and, you know, hang out with the people that I feel like I should be hanging out with. But that was just a really small moment in my dance journey that I questioned it. But I think I needed to, to really, to really appreciate and come back to that love. Here's the other thing, right? Your mom is working three jobs. Yeah. So you money was... It was oh, yeah. abundant, it sounds like, in your in your household. And dance right. is expensive. So I knew that, okay, she's putting all her, you know, she's putting her paychecks into this. Like, I have to make sure this is really what I, and I almost feel like in a way it's good. I love that you brought that up because I have this, like, not that I owe my mom anything, but I feel like in a way I, can, I work so hard because I know that she put so much energy and money into dance. And I'm like, I have to make sure that this is like the thing I want to do. I almost like get to give back to my mom. Well, also she's your role model, right? So you can't help, but make the connection. Like if I make this my passion, I may end up in a situation where I need to work three jobs. Like how are you thinking about success as a dancer, as a kid with your mother, who's your role model, who's working three jobs to help pay for your dance Mm, lessons? Right. Well, my mom's main job growing up, she works at a tax firm. So dance ended up just becoming really her like side love. She never committed fully to dance. She committed to the office job. And then dance was what she taught at night. I don't know why I've never been a person to worry about money, even growing up, because we didn't really have a lot. My mom always always told me growing up money is energy. Like it's going to flow in and it's going to flow out and you just have to accept it. You have to release control. She's always been that type. So I never was someone to stress about money. And I think putting that to the side, it really just allowed me to love dance and focus on that. And then afterwards, all the blessings and everything came. I'd never stressed so much about success I knew it's what I wanted to do. I knew I was going to go out and I was going to try it. And whatever happens, happens. I never really had a plan B. Hmm. Dance was always my plan A. And I'm blessed. It worked out. Let me ask you this then. Dance is going on. Your parents are apart. You never remembered your parents being together, in fact. How did that inform your view of relationships as a, mm. young, as a young person? It's a great question. I never had a good example of what a healthy relationship looked like. I think until the age of like 11, I wanted my parents to get back together. Like I prayed and I, looking back, thank goodness they didn't. It would have been not a good dynamic, but I wanted my parents to be together so bad. I remember my dad got remarried at the age of like seven when I was seven and I cried at the wedding. Like I was a flower girl crying so sad that my dad was not choosing my mom. 
And every other time my mom dated, every boyfriend she had, I chased them away because I was scared that, you know, my dad left. And then if my mom met somebody, she was going to leave me and I was going to be abandoned. And yeah, I think not seeing a healthy relationship growing up really affected the way that I look at relationships now. Just recently, like this past summer, I had this epiphany. I always told everyone that I have like dad issues. I have abandonment issues because, you know, my parents divorced and my dad cheated on my mom. And I thought I had issues with my father growing up until this past summer. I realized that the issues that I have are not father issues. They're what my mom has told me about my dad. Because I've never, ever, I realized, never heard my dad's side of any story. I don't know how he saw the relationship or what he went through or how, what his thinking was. So growing up, I love my mom so much. I am so beyond grateful for everything and the lessons that she's taught me, but her pain with men and my father was kind of carried to me through like verbally because she was always telling me stories. And then I realized recently that that is the reason that I, or one of the reasons I have an interesting outlook on men and relationships. So that is something I've been trying to work through. You obviously saw yourself becoming a performer Mm -hmm. as you were coming up. Did you imagine, envision yourself being famous, real wealthy, uh, having a perfect relationship when all of these pieces of the puzzle came together? What was your image for yourself as a, like, say a teenager for when you were 20, 27 or, you know, nearing 30 years old? It's interesting because even when I was little and getting the question now and people say like, where do you see yourself in five years? That's such a hard question for me because I'm not really one to like romanticize the future or think too far ahead. I really just try to stay like I, I dream. Yes, I, I have dreams, but it's really hard for me. Like when I was younger, I, I didn't really like, I wasn't trying to be famous. I mean, dancers are never really famous. You can't really be that famous unless you're like an international ballet star. I just knew that I wanted to dance. And I had a lot of friends who were older than me that went out into the dance world and they were awesome. They killed it. They were booking a lot of jobs. And I was like, I want to be where they're at. Like once I graduate, I just want to start auditioning. I had, I guess, sort of like a checklist, bucket list type thing of the things that I wanted to achieve in my dance career. But fame was never a thing for me. In relationships, I didn't want to think about them. (laughs) But you also grew up with two older brothers who obviously were dating and whatnot. What did you see from their perspective? perspective from their end of things in terms of dating and relationships coming up? Well, having two older protective brothers was really, it was very hard to date. I didn't even start dating until I was 17, but their relationships were in and out. I remember there was one girlfriend I really liked that my brother had, but other than that, they also kept their dating lives pretty private, I would say. Mm. But yeah, me dating when I was younger was just like, that was not going to happen. So they didn't give you any life advice in terms of dating or what to do, what not to do? No, they didn't. <laughs> not my older brothers, no. What about your mom? Did it was basically any, like, any of relationship advice? I'm sure oh, she had a was, lot to say. 
Yeah, she did. And she was also like, don't date. Like, wait till you're 18 when it truly, like, you you could actually see a future with someone. I really didn't date. Like, my relationship was dance. That was all that I had my eye on. And then with my mom telling me, you're too young to date. With my brothers being like, I will find out who you date. I didn't really have that much success in dating. But yeah, my mom always, she definitely had a big say in why I didn't date when I was younger. So you're 17, 18, kids are starting to make decisions for the next four years or so. You opt to do what and why in terms of your career? Yeah. You didn't go to college. I didn't go to college. Yeah. So I graduated at 17. I knew like I could either go to school and like maybe learn about dance and maybe get a dance scholarship, or I could go out and actually dance and like try to make it as a career. And so I signed with an agency when I was 17. I was at a dance competition and they saw me and they're like, we would love for you to be a part of our agency. So that happened pretty quickly. And I'm so grateful for how fast that happened. And then after that, I started auditioning. And it's so funny because I thought, you know, okay, I think I have a good look. I think I'm, I'm going to book a bunch of jobs. Like I, it's going to happen. And I remember it took a very long time. And I was kind of like, wait, why isn't it happening so easy? You know, you're 18, like so excited about the world, just thinking life's going to be easy. And it wasn't. And I remember going to auditions and seeing the same girls show up and the same ones were booking the jobs. And I remember feeling so defeated. Like I really want this opportunity, but I feel like the same people are getting these opportunities. And I remember one day I was like, I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw one of the dancers who I always see at auditions and someone had posted and said, um, happy 30th birthday. And I'm 18 and she's 30 and it clicked. I was like, Oh, who am I to think that I could just walk into all of these auditions and book the jobs when there's people that have probably been doing this since they were 18 who show up, do the work, have been going at this a lot longer than I have. Like, yes, of course. Like I need to pay my dues. I remember this moment sitting in my living room being like, oh, now it makes sense. I need time. Like I need to give myself time and I need to just keep showing up and keep working hard. And once that happened, the that feeling of rejection didn't hurt so bad because I was like, oh, I, I'm going to get so many no's before I get that one yes. And that's okay. And yeah, this career is really hard because it's really full of rejection. There's a lot, you get a lot of no's and it's, it's such a good test of staying true to who I am and not letting it affect me. So it's not always so personal, mm-hmm. you know, you just can, you just show up do the best that you can. And just, if it works, it works. And there's room for everybody is what I realized because there's a job that's for that girl. That's not for me. And then on the flip end, there's a job that's better for me. That's not for them. And yeah, I I had to realize that there's room for everybody and my time will come. I just got to keep doing the work. As you're doing the work, obviously you become known in the industry for certain things, right? What were some of the things that you, Jasmine, became known for when they were looking for this particular type of person who could do this particular type of dance or this particular type of energy? I would say that I 
I'm pretty well-rounded. So it's, if, if it's a job where we're dancing with an artist, that's, you know, they're going to sing three songs. One's going to be super upbeat and hip hoppy. I could do that, but I also have the technical side because I've trained in both. So yeah, it was kind of like a person who could kind of mold with whatever the choreographer wanted. And did you need any part-time jobs while you were building your resume? I did not. I thought it would be good to have a restaurant job. So I did apply and I worked there for like three months, but I couldn't keep up with it because the job required so much of my time that I was actually missing auditions and missing work to work at the restaurant job. So I was, I was there for three months and then I I had to quit because I was like, right now I'm putting more focus on my restaurant job than going to auditions. And yeah, it was definitely really hard. I lived with a few roommates and I don't know how I made rent sometimes, but it happened. (laughs) I always got very lucky down to like the dollar. Did you ever take any weird jobs that you were just like, I I really don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway because I need the money. (laughs) Like weird dance jobs. Yeah. I have seriously such a bad memory, but I know that there is a hundred percent been a job where I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this, but (laughs) taking a music video, that's like, 24 hours long, you're going to be on set all day in the cold, but like, I got to make this paycheck. (laughs) I got to do it. So I will sit through anything at this point. I don't normally ask people about relationships, but but since you're the project that we're ultimately going to talk about has to do with relationships. I'm curious what your experience with relationships are. You're in Southern California, you know, you have all kinds of people to choose from. And, you know, you're in that industry where you have people are from all over the world. So what were you experiencing as you're now no longer under your brother's shadows, you're living on your own, you're having this first time dating experiences? I haven't always been so lucky in the (laughs) dating department. I, I choose very interesting partners and I'm starting to realize why we attract certain people into our lives they put a mirror up to us. And a lot of the people I date, I realize are like my biggest fear, which is important, I guess, for me to realize that. So I didn't start dating until I was 17. Yeah. I I ended up having my first boyfriend and that lasted a couple of years and it was anything but healthy, but I didn't really have a nice painted picture of relationships and how they should work. So I was kind of figuring it out on my own. And I'm really grateful for that relationship because yeah, I got to go through it and realize a lot of things and discover self-worth. And then after that, I booked a job in Switzerland for a couple of months. And I had always told myself, like, I would never date long distance. If someone told me that they were in a long distance relationship, I'm like, he's cheating on you and it's not going to last. Like I had the worst outlook on long distance relationships, but somehow I met a man across the globe And it was like a fairy tale. We dated for a year and a half. He lived in Switzerland. I lived in Los Angeles. And our whole experience together was traveling and traveling around the world. And I missed so much work to be in this relationship. I was about it. And then the time came when there was nothing we could do. Like he wasn't going to come here and I wasn't going to go to Switzerland because there's no work out there. 
So we eventually called it off. And I think what I've been realizing is that relationship I hold so high. That was like my favorite. It's my favorite story to tell. I love telling people about it. I share that story so often. It's I hold it so high up. And I've realized in the past year, so that ended about three and a half years ago. And the reason that I am dating men that don't even come close to what I had with that relationship is because I hold that relationship so high. It's my favorite story that I, I'm not trying to reach that potential with other partners. I've just recently learned it's okay to release that relationship. How did you learn that? I sat with ayahuasca for two nights in March. I went to Costa Rica for 20 days and it's not my first time sitting with the medicine, but I went back and through that, I realized I saw it so clear that that relationship, that's my favorite. That's my golden relationship. I had this like visualization of it being so high up there and I'm just purposely not getting to that place because Either I'm scared to pass it or I don't want to pass it. I don't want, I want that to be my story. And so I am choosing partners that will, I know that won't last and that won't ever get to that point so that I never have to get past that relationship. Yeah. The medicine showed me a lot about relationships. What were some of the traits of an impactful relationship? The one that you had in, in Switzerland, what made it so special? The communication. I mean, we had to have very strong communication. I mean, he lives in Switzerland and he speaks German. (laughs) We have a different time zone. And so we had to be very on with our communication and constantly like open and honest about what we were feeling, what we're going through, because long distance is so hard. It's really hard to maintain a relationship that way. And we had to constantly be open to what the other person was feeling, like being open to them expressing themselves. And he was, he was older than I was. So that helped me become more mature in relationships because the relationship I had before the things that were happening in that relationship would not have worked in this new relationship. So he kind of taught me what a healthy dynamic is in a relationship. Mm. So I was, I was kind of learning from him and with him because what I had before was polar opposite. So yeah, there was a lot of things that wouldn't be okay that I couldn't bring in from my last relationship. So yeah, that healthy communication, trust, that's something that is very hard to build back up, especially what I had gone through in my first relationship. There was absolutely no trust for reasons. And so to come into a new relationship with someone who's across the globe, like I really had to figure out how to trust someone that wasn't around me. And he was able to give me that and reassure me with that. How were you coping with breakups at that time in your life? Did you have books? Did you have mentors, therapy, anything like that? I wish I had therapy. I really, (laughs) I didn't have therapy. How was I coping with breakups? I guess, even though my mom (laughs) had a, very intense way of looking at relationships and men. She helped me an enormous amount because she was like, look at what I have been through with men. I promise you, you will be okay. And you will get over it. Like we always move on. We always move on. I 
feels like the end of the world right now. You're feeling so heartbroken or ego broken, but you are going to be okay. I promise you're going to get through this. So that helps me a lot because even though I didn't always have the best examples with relationships, she was always very great with breakups. (laughs) She helps me a lot with that. So one day you're washing clothes. <laughs> Tell me the story of, of how this, okay. this you ain't shirt thing and the inception of it, because you're washing okay. clothes. And Let's go back to the beginning of the pandemic. So like I said before, I was, I'm a dancer. That's my main career. It's the only thing I've ever done. That's my love. That's my passion. I finally get to the point where, so when I'm 18 and I'm like, why am I not getting all of these jobs? And I'm, I'm at that point in my life. And I remember talking to a friend that, is older than me about like five years. And I remember telling him, Oh, I have an audition tomorrow. Like I'm 19 at this point. And he's like an audition. Wow. I haven't auditioned in two years. Like that's so crazy. And I'm like, you have an audition and like, that's possible. I want to get to that point. Like I want to get to the point where I don't have to audition. And it's just, I'm booking a job because of the connection I have with the choreographer or I fit like whatever it is. And I finally got to that point in my career where I was like, working, booking jobs, dream jobs. It almost became a point where I forgot the love that I had for dance. And it became a very robotic thing of just got to work, got to make money, booking this job, doing this, doing that. And I realized once the pandemic hit that I was no longer creating for myself. I was basically, for lack of a better word, a prop. So I'm fulfilling the artist's vision, the choreographer's vision, the creative director's vision. It's never my own. I I like lost this part of like the artist in myself because I'm just doing whatever they say. I didn't, I hadn't even made up any like choreo for myself in so long. I was just, okay, tell me where to go. Tell me what's the next move. I felt it was just this robotic thing. And I realized once the pandemic hit that I wasn't creating and I was getting worried because I'm like, wait, I've lost this creative muscle in myself. Like I don't even want to create, I don't even know what to create. I don't even, I remember trying to put on music and freestyle in my living room and I couldn't do it. I was paralyzed because I was like, I don't even know how to just listen to my body or let it do what it wants to do. And I remember feeling super upset about that. And it was almost the perfect timing because I needed to realize that before I maybe burnt myself out from dance. I don't know. So for months I was sad because I was like, I'm not creating anything. I haven't created something in so long. And one day, I don't know how this happened. I had just ended something with someone, someone I was dating and I was wearing one of his shirts And I was washing another one of his shirts and we're done. And as I'm doing laundry, I'm thinking, am I the only one that still holds on to a t-shirt from an ex? Like, why do I have a few of them? Is this something, do other people do this? I know it doesn't mean I miss them or I want to be with them, but I've reclaimed this shirt as my own. And maybe it's my favorite pajama shirt. And I reached out to a couple of friends to see if they are similar to me in keeping a shirt. And a lot of my friends were like, oh yeah, I still have blah, 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 sure, or this shirt, whatever. And I was like, I was talking to my mom, like, that'd be such a cool idea for a coffee table book. Just like take a bunch of pictures of girls in their ex's t-shirts and then they get to do like maybe a little yearbook quote about the relationship. 
And my mom's like, that's actually a really good idea. Like you should do it. And I hit up my photographer friend to tell him the idea and he loved it. And he was like, I'm down. I want to shoot all the photos. Just telling people about it got me really excited and made me really want to follow through with it because so often I'm a person that has an idea in my head and I get excited about it. And then I don't ever follow through. So this time I was like, let me just get people involved. And I feel like that will hold me more accountable. So I hit up a bunch of my friends. And at first it was just going to be like 10 friends and just something for us for fun, just to do. Somehow it ended up with 65 girls all wanting to be a part of this book. It started out something humorous. Like it it was supposed to be like a funny idea, but I didn't know. And we all didn't know that it was going to be a healing thing for all of us. My first question is when you break up with people or they break up with you, whatever, do you have a history of having clean breaks or was it back and forth a little bit? And then it Mm. would be a clean break. What was your experience with that? So usually when a relationship has ended, it's done. Like I don't usually go back. There was one, which the book was based off of kind of, or not based off of, but I was wearing his shirt. That one was a relationship that I call it like a saga because it was so on and off for like a year and a half. And I think because with the other relationships I've had, there was a reason for them to end. Like there's always a reason for them to end either cheating or you live across the globe and that's not going to happen. Like we can't move past that. Or there's always been a reason for the, for the one that the book was kind of around. My intuition always told me that it wasn't right. That it wasn't a relationship that I felt was going to be to help us both grow. But because there wasn't a substantial reason, like there was no cheating involved. There was no, like no one moved away. It it was hard for me to let go of that relationship because in my mind, I couldn't tell if I was being insecure and afraid of it, or if it was really my intuition telling me like, this is not right. So I played with that. I went back and forth with that. Am I stopping myself from feeling something that could be really great? That's right in front of me, but I'm just insecure. So I want to run away and I have a history of being hurt. So let me just ignore this one and not follow through with it. Or is it like, no, because you've been hurt and because you've experienced similar situations that, you know, this is a gut feeling that this is not going to be a healthy relationship. So I played back and forth between the two, trying to figure out exactly which one to listen to or which way was the correct route. So that was definitely an on and off relationship until very recently. Speaking of that, when it is hard to let go in that way, there are two schools of thought. Number one is get rid of everything that reminds you of this person. (laughs) Not the (laughs) t-shirt. Yeah. So I'm wondering like, why even keep a t-shirt when you're trying to let go? And number two is like, yeah, you have this thing as a nostalgic thing, but that's truly if you're able to kind of distance yourself and separate yourself from that experience. Cause obviously if it's over, that means there was some hurt that was involved, maybe not intentional, but that's just, it's the natural effect of being pulled away from or pulling away from somebody. So it's interesting to me that you found so many people who, who've kept, 
Like I've even personally had girlfriends return letters that I've written them, really beautiful <laughs> letters. Cause like, they didn't want to have, they yeah. didn't want to have them around in an effort to kind of properly pull away. Well, in the past guys I've dated, cause I, I own a, like a couple shirts. <laughs> I know that I am completely over those relationships and I love an oversized t-shirt to wear, but I, maybe I should just go out and go to Target and buy one for myself, but it's already in my closet. This most recent one, yes, I probably should have gotten rid of his shirts because that was a relationship that I wasn't able to let go of. And that was very hard to let go of and release him. So probably in a healthy sense, I should have, but I, I had the shirt on and we had only been broken up with or ended for a couple of weeks. But yeah, you're right. I probably should have gotten rid of those t-shirts, but I didn't. <laughs> well, if you had, you wouldn't have had the book. So you exactly. Know, so, so I'm glad I didn't. Yeah. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> okay. So when you're getting excited about the possibilities related to this book, what was driving you to keep taking these next steps? Was there some deeper why that you were thinking about or was it about making money or what, what, what was the in, intention? So money was not even a thing. I honestly wasn't even going to sell the book at first. I wanted it to just be a book for me and my friends. And then we would just have this book and it was just going to be a fun idea. And then mm-hmm. it kept growing and growing. So it started out as this like funny concept. Let's wear extra, tell whatever you want. It could be a silly quote, inspiring, vulnerable, whatever you feel. And then as each day passed, it became more and more healing on not only for me, but for the women. Like I asked them each five questions and, you know, two of them were like humorous questions. And then the other three were, you know, why did the relationship end? What did you do to heal once it was over? And what did you gain from that relationship? What's the lesson that you've learned? And the emails that I was receiving back, the women were sharing how they, they realized they haven't even had a moment to reflect on that relationship. You know, we just end and then we just move on. And so the questions were, it was very healing for us all. And even for me, because I had just ended something with someone a couple of weeks prior and I needed that for myself as well, because so often it, I don't really look back and think, okay, you know, what did I gain from this? How did I heal from that relationship that can help me move forward? Maybe in the next one, have I done the work to really heal so that I could enter another relationship? And it just became more and more healing, more than I thought it would be for all of us. So regardless of who it affects on the outside for all of us women that were a part of it, it was, it was so necessary and so needed. And I realized that if we're not taking the time to reflect on our relationships and try to see the positive in in them and feel grateful for whatever we gained, then how many other people are doing that? That's when I decided, okay, maybe I I, want to sell this book. Like I want to put a lot of love and a lot of energy into this book because if it's so healing for us, who else could it impact? How did you even know how to publish a book? Like, did you have a budget set aside from your savings? Like, oh, this is since I'm, it's going to be my next passion or Mm -hmm. did you consult with somebody? You go online and do a bunch of research. Like, how did you start that? I had a, a great savings account. And I, and everyone's like, you should invest. You should invest because I went on a world tour. So I saved all my money from that tour and I like did not touch anything. I don't know how to invest. I don't know how to put my money in this account to make this money. I don't know how to do that. It was just sitting in my bank account and I wanted to put my money into something, but I just didn't know what. So when this idea came, 
And I realized how expensive it is to make a coffee table book. Wow. I had to take a few, a few moments to really commit to the idea because it is very costly to write a book. But I have all this money saved. I'm not doing anything with it. And I know that I remember when I was younger, I remember someone taking me out to dinner, like a friend, and she paid for the entire thing. And I remember feeling like, oh my gosh, like people do. Like I I know that when I have money, I want to be able to like put it out in the world. I want to be able to give it. I want to take people to dinner. I want to give donate it to this. I want to, well, that's what I want money for. So all of a sudden I have money and I'm just going to hold on to it and do nothing with it. Like that's not the reason that I wanted to have money in the first place. So how could I put it in something that is not for me or for myself that could be for others? And so I was like, this is the perfect reason. I have it right in front of me. It's like everything is aligned. This should be where I'm putting my energy and money and time and focus. When I told my aunt the idea, she was so supportive and she's like, I want to help. So she invested some money into it, which helped me tremendously. So I'm so beyond grateful for her. And each night I would go to bed and each night I'm going to bed and I'm like, this is such a dumb idea. Why are you doing this? You're wasting your time. You're wasting your energy. No one's even going to care about this book. It's not that great. Like, and you tell yourself all these things before going to bed. And then I remember each day I'd wake up. Okay. What do I got to do today? What do I got to do? One step closer. And then that night I'm going to bed and my brain's like, you should just stop. Like, it's not a good idea. Like stop creating this book. It's way too much money. And then I wake up the next day. I'm like, okay, what do I got to do? And I don't know how my brain kept overcoming those sabotage thoughts. Like when I tell you I had them every single day, every single day, but I think because there were other people involved, it wasn't just like I was making a coffee table book of myself in my ex's t-shirts. I think because I had other women involved and the photographer and so many people were so supportive and, and so thank you for allowing me to be a part of this. It's so healing. I, I, I didn't even realize that I needed this more than I did. Now I actually gave myself closure hearing those messages and for people to share that with me and, and then feel trusting and safe enough for me to honor that space and then like share it with the world. I was like, Oh, this is, this is bigger than me. This isn't just me trying to like make a book and sell it and make a lot of money. If that happens, thank you source, but that's not the goal. And that was, that's never been the goal. So I've never done a book in my entire life. I don't even know how it happened. I ended up hiring a graphic designer because I don't even know the programs. And when I hired her, I remember sitting on the phone with her and I said, I'm hiring you because I need someone professional and I want to be able to lean on someone. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know if my ideas are good. I just need someone to lean on. That was my initial belief. And then we worked together and she shared with me her thoughts on how the book should, should go. She sent me like a template of like, okay, this is how it should look. And I remember immediately being like, I don't think I want it to look like that. In the moment, I was really like shocked. Like, oh my God, wait, 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 I'm spending a lot of money on this and this isn't what I wanted and I don't know what to do. And then it was the perfect blessing because like I said before, I never saw myself as being creative. I don't know what, I never trusted my ideas. I was the person where someone's like, Oh, I like this. I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah. Me too. Me too. Me too. I'm like, I don't like this. I'm like, Oh yeah. I don't either. I was very kind of like listening to everybody else. I've lost my own creative vision. And because 
her and I didn't have the same outlook on how the book should go. It just clicked. I don't know what happened, but it became so clear. The vision became so clear on how I wanted the book to look. I said, make it smaller, make the picture here, do this with that. And it somehow all aligned. And so I'm almost grateful that it didn't happen the way that I had wanted it to, because who knows how the book would have looked if I didn't even trust in myself. So that was a huge moment for me because I had never seen myself as someone who has good ideas and is creative. So that happened. My mom has actually written a book before. So she knows how to like, I guess, self-publish and copyright. She helped me on that end. Mm -hmm. I searched forever for a printer. I had a very clear vision of how I wanted the book to look, how to feel, what color it was. And not every printer could do that. So I found someone who was able to deliver. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm printing 250 books. I don't know how that happened. And then after that, it's like, oh, wait, now I want to sell the book. So that's a whole other level of life that I didn't know about trying to sell a product. And I don't know a lot of people that have done that. So it's all kind of me trying to figure it out on my own marketing and all of that stuff. I'm literally a one-man team trying to sell it, but it's reached the people that it's supposed to and the people that do have it. I'm so grateful for the messages and the response that I've been getting. And then it turned into an Instagram where people are DMing me and sharing with me their stories. I don't know how I somehow became the the breakup queen. (laughs) I did not mean for that to happen. So it just became this whole, it started out as an idea that was kind of just like a fun, we'll just see how it goes. And then it turned into like this whole creation and it being out in people's hands, which is really awesome. What else did you learn in the process of creating that, that you didn't know when you started about yourself or about other people or about breakups? Yeah. So I learned that for myself, you know, when we're, when we're little and we're told something so often about ourselves or we do some, we have this habit or pattern when we're younger and then people stick to that thought of us. So I was always a very irresponsible child, couldn't focus on anything. Sometimes I still have such a hard time focusing. I am like on to the next thing. My brain's here. It's over there. It's like squirrel. Like, I don't know how to just like sit down and follow through with anything. And it's easy when you're a dancer because you just have someone else kind of telling you what to do on the job. It's not like you're the person that's making everything happen. And this is why this vision is becoming true. So through this, I realized that I am able to change that narrative of myself. I can be responsible. I can commit to something and follow through. I surprised so many of my friends with this because they they know me. I've had so like I've had ideas where I'm like, oh my God, I have this great idea. I'm gonna do this. And then two weeks later, I'm like over it. You know, maybe it's because I have a hard time committing, but I also think uh, it was a lot of fear. You know, that voice is like, oh, you you're not the one to do that. Like get, let someone else have that idea. You're not, that's not you that you don't do that. And so I've learned that, okay, that voice that's in our head is not always on our side, which is really interesting. Like whose team are you on? And to not always listen to that voice. Like, thank you for your concern, but I'm going to do this anyway. Have telling myself that constantly. So I learned that I could commit. I'm able to follow through and regarding breakups. It's just reading everybody's answers. Everyone has their own 
story, of course, to tell, but just how similar it is for all of us. Like when we think that oftentimes we're the only one that's going through this hard time, like no one can understand, like I'm the only one. And then reading everybody's answers and also the way that I feel or that I was feeling like we're not alone. We're all, we've all gone through it. We've all felt that pain, maybe in a different, it's a different story, but we're, we're not alone. And that's what I've realized. And we don't have to go through it alone. Like it's mm. okay to lean on other people. And that's what I wanted the book to be about. Super empowering and uplifting, no matter what you've gone through, you're going to open up the book and see someone that you resonate with or a story or a lesson or a healing. Like we're all kind of going through it together in a sense. Were there any themes that emerged from these stories that you would read, these submissions that people would give that kind of surprised you? I think a lot of the answers, the the similar ones were how oftentimes it kind of, what I said earlier, we, we, we go through things alone or we think that it's best to kind of just like hold it in and go through things alone. But the real healing is when we allow ourselves to kind of lean on others and we we share it. We open up to people. Like a lot of the girls talked about leaning on their friends. And I think that would be like a common theme. I tried also to choose a lot of answers that weren't similar so that mm. you're not reading the same story over and over and over. So I tried to like switch it up. And you would think the book would be really about like when you hear it, you ain't sure. Oh, it's about, you know, these girls are bashing their exes and all these exes are horrible people. And let's all like to talk badly about them. But that's not how the book is at all. Like it's not let's bash our ex because we also have to take a- accountability. And it's not always our ex's fault the relationship didn't end. So some girls are like, it didn't work because I sabotaged it or this or that or the other thing. So, and we really try to stay away from talking badly about the exes because we're grateful for them. They teach us a lot. It sounds a little bit more harsh than the book actually is, <laughs> the, the title of the book. But yeah, each story is pretty different. Have you personally always been able to find that space of gratitude after a breakup? Or how did you know that that was <clears throat> what the book should have in it? instead of blaming and, and victimization and all of that. Yeah. I think because when I was younger, even though it's maybe not a healthy mindset, and I, I didn't always think relationships last. Like I was mm. never the person that's like, you're going to meet someone at 19 and you're going to marry them and they're going to be your person for the rest of the time. So I think because I never had that belief when my relationships did end, I wasn't so negative about it, I knew that that was a possibility that it could end. And I never held it against the person if they broke up with me or vice versa. I knew that there's always something to gain. And I think relationships are so important because I remember having this like epiphany while I was on tour, which I'm having the best time ever. I'm like traveling around the world. It's so easy to like just give myself so much self-love. I'm in another country. I'm experiencing different cultures. Life's so great. And I remember saying to my friends, I'm like, I've figured out what life is. I've got it down. It's about being so happy and single and complete that you don't even need someone else. You're just happy with yourself. Like that, it's easy. Why are we trying to make it anything more than that? Now, later in life, if you find the person that's just as whole as you and you guys are, that's the cherry on top. Which yes, that's obviously a great 
fantasy. And so it was really easy for me to like maintain self-love. Like I got this, like, it's just about being single. And then I remember meeting somebody and that all like went out the window. I was like, Oh, now I think I figured out what it is. It's about maintaining whatever I felt on tour, that self-love, that happiness. I feel so whole and complete maintaining that love I have for myself while being in a relationship with someone else who tests all of those parts of me, who triggers me, who just like, or who I allow to trigger me. And that is the true test. Oh my God. I like unlocked this whole other level. You know, I thought it was just about being single and being happy, but I realized, Oh, through this person, I'm learning so much about myself that I would have never unlocked if I was by myself. Like they, they bring out something that we wouldn't even have to work on. We don't have to work on trust issues when it's just us being single. That's not something you would have to work on, but that's the work I have to do. So I realized through these relationships, Oh, I'm learning so much about myself that I wouldn't have before. And that was what I really wanted the theme of the book to be about. We gain something from each person. We're going to gain something. So I think I've always been kind of the person that knew that there's something to learn. And talk a little bit about the genesis of the, the title of the book, You Ain't Shirt. (laughs) <laughs> was that the first idea that somebody, where'd you, how'd you come up with that? It was when I'm doing laundry and I'm telling my mom in the other room, oh my God, mom, I'm going to make a coffee table book about X's shirts and da, 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 da. she was the one from the other room jokingly. She's like, yeah, and you should call it, you ain't shirt. And I was like, <laughs> that came too easily and too perfectly for me to not make this a thing. And then I'm like, how was no one else thought of this? I like looked on Google X's shirts, like anything, no one. So I was like, you know what? I know that there, I, I, I have the belief that ideas are just floating up there and whoever catches on, like you could fulfill it. And if you don't, it'll go to the next person. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to hop on this train. It's too good to be true. I'm not doing anything during this lockdown. You know, I might as well just see if this will work out. And actually interesting enough, after I shot all the photos and I saw all the girls I ended up getting COVID and I was forced to sit in my house for 20 days without seeing anybody, without going outside. And honestly, I would never want to say I'm grateful for COVID because I'm not, but that sat me down on my butt, on the couch every single day, doing the work that needed to be done for this book, because who knows? I don't know if it would have gotten done or how long it probably would still be in production right now if I didn't have that moment to just literally sit down and only work on the book. COVID was your editor. You had to get COVID. COVID was my boss, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) And then you ended up splitting the book up into the breakup, the healing and the lesson. And And that obviously came, I'm assuming it came after you, you kind of put all the information together and got all the stories together. You kind of saw that that was what was emerging. So at first, when I reached out to all the, all the girls, when it was just going to be a few, I wanted them to answer the lesson that they've learned. I always knew that I wanted it to be about lessons. It could be a funny lesson. It could be something vulnerable, deep, whatever you wanted it to be, whatever, whatever you gained from your ex that, or even just someone that you dated, even have to be, some of them weren't even ex-boyfriends or ex-girlfriends. 
whatever you gained. And then as it started to become more and more and more and more and more and more women, I thought someone reading a book of 65 lessons is probably a little bit, I don't know, let's try to switch it up. So I emailed all the girls, asked them five questions, the breakup healing and lesson. And then the other two, because I didn't know what I want the book to be about. It was like, describe your ex in three words. And what was the last text message? So all the girls answered the questions. And then as I'm like trying to figure out the book, I realized, okay, if I was featured in this book and someone is talking about this beautiful lesson that they've learned, and then they turn the page and it's me saying my ex was mean, funny, and I don't know, cute. I would feel a little bit like, oh, I wish I could contribute a little bit more for the people reading. So I decided just to cut it down to the three important ones, which were all the best answers anyway that the girls gave the breakup, the healing, and the lesson, why that relationship ended, what they did to heal once it was over, and the lesson that they've learned. And so I just decided to put it into three parts. And I felt like that was the correct order to have it in because we go through the relationship, sometimes it ends, we have to heal, and then later we're able to see the lesson that we gained from the relationship. So yeah, it turned out to, to be those three. It was just supposed to be lessons at first. Did it take longer and cost more than you thought? It did not take as long and it cost way more than I thought. I think the reason it went so fast, I gave myself a deadline and I feel like if I didn't give myself that deadline, I don't know how long it would have taken. So I knew, okay, how about my birthday's in November? How about I have it released around my birthday? And then I knew, okay, once I talked to the printing company, they need about three weeks, maybe four weeks to print all of the books. So then I had to map it back to that. And then I knew I wanted to go drive and pick up the book. So I had to plan that amount of time. So I was like, okay, if I want the books done by November 19th, I need to have all of my everything sent in by the October 16th. And I finished shooting all the girls September, like we had a shoot day the second, the third and September 20th. So it was very quick. I did it extremely quick. And it's important to take your time on projects and ideas, of course, but it just, everything was coming together so quickly and everything was lining so perfectly that I was like, I just got to keep the momentum. I just got to keep going. And I think that setting a deadline really helped me. So it, it was extremely fast. And I'm so grateful for the book designer because I was constantly back and forth. What about this? This, 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 And she was always like there for me, which was amazing. And then it costs more because I wanted a certain look because I was like, if I'm about to put all of this money and energy into something, I want it to be what I have in my brain. And so of course I had to pick like the most expensive, like hardback cover. Cause it's linen. It's like a gray linen and it's soft and it feels nice. And I was like, Oh, it's kind of more like, you know, like clothing. I love that look. And I knew I wanted an inset image. I went, I went to Barnes and Nobles and I, I looked at all of these books. I went to random boutique shops and looked at their coffee table books. And I was like, I'm so set on how I want this book to be made. And it definitely costs more, but you know, I've talked to people that have like done clothing or done other things. And they're like, you're going to, for the first couple of, if you're starting a business, like you're going to put more money in than you're going to receive sometimes. So yeah, I was okay with putting my money into that. It's, it's my brain baby. You know, it's my, mm. it's my baby. It's okay to, I don't regret it. 
I have a few wrap up questions for you. Number one, are there books still available for people there to purchase? There are books still available. There are. Okay, good. And number two, how are you thinking about success these days? Now that you've kind of put yourself out there and you've done this passion project, mm-hmm. what do you think about success? When I think about success, I don't maybe think about it in the way that most people do making a lot of money. I have this crazy empire and all of these things. I feel successful when I am able to do things that are not just for myself that I could help Mm. others with. And so I already feel like this business is a success because just what it's done for us, the people that have been a part of the book and for the people that have already ordered the book and read through it, because I'm getting messages. Like I started it and I thought I would just read a couple, but I finished the whole book. And like, I feel so empowered. I feel so like, this is what I needed. I, or I wish this book came out a few years ago when I was going through this or that and the other thing. And just that subtle reminder of, Oh, this isn't even about me. Like this is about healing for people outside of myself as well. That makes me feel successful. And I just, Keep. Ha- I have so many ideas now for the company that I feel like it's going to do really well because even if it's just affecting a few people, like the people that are a part of it now that follow the Instagram, that write in you know, some questions or they answer the polls or they DM me and we have conversations, like just that alone, like the things that I want to offer for them and just how it's affecting them in a positive way, it, it's like, I'm so excited every day about this business. I don't even know what it's going to turn into, but I have so many ideas and it just, because they're coming so quickly and it just feels so right. I'm like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing right now. It feels Mm. really right. And it feels so like aligned with who I am. And I, when I came back from Costa Rica in March, before this whole idea came to me, I journaled and I put in the middle of a piece of paper, a J for job. And I put like all these little squiggly lines out and what I wanted that job to look like. I didn't want it to be a job that was like for me. I I want to help and influence others in a positive way. That was like number one. I had all of these lists of what I wanted it to look like. The fact that I'm seeing that come to fruition right now and how it's manifesting itself. I'm like, oh, this is so right. If this only lasts another year, I'm so fine. But I felt like I needed to complete this. Yeah, it's beautiful. So let's say somebody reaches out to you and says, hey, Jasmine, I got this amazing idea for doing a coffee table book to help inspire people. Do you have any advice for me? <laughs> yes. Oh my God. I, I get DMs. I get DMs like, hey, how do I write a book? How do I do this about a book? I want to publish this book. What did you do? And I am like, I wish I had somebody that was like, Hey, here's what you could do. This is going to help you in the long run. I wish I had somebody that was like that for me. So I'm so willing to be that person for people. Like it's hard, especially never written. a. I mean, I didn't really write a book, but I made a book, produced a book. It's hard. So it's not so easy, but obviously there's amazing YouTube videos and there's there's articles online, but I, yeah, it's possible. I'm a person that has never written a book or done anything like that. So I can tell you it's 
possible to achieve. Awesome. Well, I thank you for sharing your story. And I always like to end these conversations by looping back around to how we started, particularly talking about your favorite activity as a child, which obviously was dancing. And as you could tell, I was trying to get to the motivation underneath the motivation Mm. for dancing, which really was, as you mentioned, you know, it was about tapping into a part of yourself that didn't get an outlet in your normal life. And whether that was through the performance itself or through the competition, it was a way of kind of accessing a higher expression of who and what you are. And I feel like having now heard your whole story, everything was really leading you to this point in the sense that your spirit chose these two individuals to be born into their family. They weren't together. There were some relationship questions there. You only heard one side of the story. You then chose a profession that required you to be okay with lots and lots of rejection so that you could keep moving forward, taking the next steps without talking yourself out, even though those thoughts obviously were there and probably have been there for a very long time. And you have this this sense of independence, which which kind of I think it gives you the ability to connect with people who are feeling a little bit tethered to codependent relationships, and they see something in you, and that probably inspires them to want to share with you through this project. So, I just want to acknowledge you for for showing up and for making this project the one that you decided to really follow through with, even though there were so many unknowns and there probably still are a lot of unknowns, but also seeing how your mother taught you around money being energy, seeing the energy that you had accumulated and this being the perfect outlet for that energy to be invested. Why? We don't know yet, but (laughs) this is a really good start, you know, and I think you've, you've inspired a lot of people and I saw that you also have created a candle to go along with the book, yes. <laughs> which is the light at the end of the tub. I, mean, I can keep yeah. going on and on with these. No, metaphors, it is. But yes. Yeah. It's just, it's really cool. It's really inspiring. And I'm so excited to be able to share your story with my audience. And hopefully the people listening to this will be reminded that those hunches and urges that they have in their heart that feel aligned with what their purpose on this planet is is it's not there arbitrarily, you know, it's there for a higher purpose. And hopefully seeing that you took those next steps will empower them to be able to do the same. And so, yeah, I'm just, I'm grateful for you. And I, I appreciate you coming on and being so open and transparent about your journey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored. And I feel like, you know, so much about me in such a short little time. You literally just read me back my life. I'm like, oh yeah, that, that did happen to me. So thank you for listening and for taking time out of your day to hear my story and want to know it and you're interested in it. So I'm honored and grateful. Of course. And everybody will need to follow you and follow. (laughs) The book has its own account, right? You ain't sure? It does. Yeah. Yeah. Follow your account. So we'll put all that in the show notes, obviously, and hopefully we'll uh, continue to see it evolve over, over time. So thanks a lot. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my conversation with Jasmine Mason. There are still some You Ain't Shirt books available for purchase. If you want to grab one of her limited edition copies, you can do so at youaintshirt.com. And if you're feeling inspired to share your breakup story 
and the lessons that you learn. And if you still have one of your ex's t-shirts, you can submit a photo of yourself wearing it along with your story to the You Ain't Shirt IG account, which is at You Ain't Shirt, no apostrophe. And there's also a link to it on the website and in the show notes. And speaking of which, the show notes for this episode can be found on my website, including a transcript of the interview. Just go to lightwatkins.com slash tunnel. And while you're there, you may see a pop-up advertisement for my daily dose of inspiration, as well as my weekly email. And both are motivational, inspirational messages that I send out daily for the daily and weekly for the weekly. They're wonderful and a lot of people really enjoy them and respond positively to them. My next book is based on my daily dose of inspiration. It's called Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration. It is now available for pre-order and you'll see purchase links for my book at lightwatkins.com as well. And again, if you haven't left your review for At the End of the Tunnel, I'll walk you through the process right now because it can be a little confusing, right? And it only takes 10 seconds. Just look at your screen, click where it says At the End of the Tunnel, which should be in purple. Unless you're not listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, then you want to look for a button that says Listen on Apple Podcast, and then you'll see the purple link. And then scroll down past all of the previous episodes to where it says Ratings and Reviews, and just tap the star on the far right, and you left a rating. Thank you very much in advance for taking those few seconds to do that for me. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the people who find this podcast are going to appreciate it as well. Thanks again for listening, for sharing this episode with your friends and your followers. And I'll see you back here next week with another amazing story from the end of the tunnel. In the meantime, best thing you can do for yourself, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart. Keep taking those leaps of faith, everybody. And I'm sending you lots of peace and love. Have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.